Welcome to the Farm One Podcast, where we uncover local food stories, sustainable living, and hidden stories behind our food and agriculture system so that we can be more thoughtful about our food. I'm Michael Chin from Farm One. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm all right, Michael. I've had a busy, busy couple of weeks, and uh, I'm... I mean, this week is supposed to be sort of a quiet week, but now it's filling up again. I went to a really interesting new potential location for a cool farm yesterday. I can't say much more than that, but it's a potentially amazing partnership and it's potentially great for New York City. So that's exciting. And yeah, I've been trying to somehow balance work and life and maybe failing maybe succeeding sometimes, uh, doing my best. What about you, Michael? Well, I think all rules, traditions, anything we know historically is just out the window since last year. So all the rules about it's summer and we should do all this and that, I, I feel like the rhythms of business and life are just completely different now. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I just feel like we're like New York City is getting busier and busier and busier. And I it's, it's so hard to actually tell, like, you know, because I guess I'm almost weirdly nostalgic for the beginning of COVID because there was this sort of few weeks where no one really knew what was going to happen. And I feel like we sort of calmed down a bit. We didn't do as much work and we were... I don't know, rediscovering the joy of being at home and having actual lunch and stuff. And now I feel like, I don't know, I'm certainly feeling a lot of pressure to just be working, working. And there's lots of meetings being scheduled and tours and people coming to visit and, you know, handshaking is back apparently, you know? Mm -hmm. and, so, and so I don't know, all this stuff is kind of back and like, um, yeah, I'm finding it a little bit hard to, to balance it all. Um, but yeah, hopeful that, uh, as the summer goes on, maybe, maybe things will get a little bit better and also really happy that we can go out and do things. I'm going to a, um, a sort of film premiere thing this evening. Um, a very minor oh. one. It's not, not like, uh, the next episode of, um, Mission Impossible. It's more like a, a documentary thing. Um, but yeah, there's things like that happening, which is great. And I'm, I just sort of, I feel like the whole working world is sort of trying to find its feet a little bit about what's going to be the right balance and how do we, how do we stay sane? You know, that's the, that's the question, but yeah. You're not one of the, you're not one of the many that's going to buy a van, turn it into a, a house and, and drive around. And oh, mate, that's, that's already happened. Hasn't it? I think if you were not already on a van wait list, you're probably going to be waiting until about 2024 for your van at this point. Isn't that right? I mean, didn't, didn't everyone do that during COVID? It sounds pretty nice, but yeah, it certainly wasn't something I could do. Yeah, pretty much. Are you, how are you thinking about holidays for the, for the rest of the year are you planning at all for like you know the summer or or or, or even you know the kind of end of year holidays well firstly that makes me think of the uh paid time off policy at farm one and we um previously had a like unlimited vacation policy which you know we sort of 
you know, gradually realize that that sort of puts pressure on people ultimately. And so we're changing that to a fixed number of days, um, which will be relatively generous. And, and that will increase a little bit as you um, go through your uh, career and add more years to your farm one tenure. Um, but yeah, personally myself, I mean, we got, you know, we've got some busy things coming up, Michael. I don't know if you realize, but so, so um, probably not going away um, for the next uh, certainly a couple of months, but also I have a visa renewal situation where, which I think a lot of people do, which is that the border to Canada has been closed for a long time. And so renewing my visa is a bit tricky. I think it'll get resolved, but it means that currently I can't really leave the country. Um, so <clears throat> it certainly puts on hold, you know, any international ambitions. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I think we're in a phase of the company where I need to stay here for a bit and then we may be able to achieve a thing and then I may be able to actually have a vacation and that would be fantastic. What about <laughs> you? Have you got anything planned? Well, we're thinking about doing something in the fall, uh, probably September. I think we might do a few trips between that kind of, you know, long weekend type things. Um, I mean, I had to be honest, the other day I was sitting there doing some work early in the morning. I put on some music and I had dreams of being on a beach in Hawaii at the end of uh -huh. the year. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, it really made me think like, God damn it, I, I've missed that a lot. Um, so, you know, yeah. maybe if things go well, maybe. <laughs> Dude, I would love to join you on that beach in Hawaii. So let oh. me know. Let me know. <laughs> I mean, oh, well, I remember you had to cancel your plans last year, right? Yeah, I had to cancel. I mean, I feel like we, Gabby and I canceled our vacation four times. I think, I think we sort of ended up giving up. But hey, it's all right. We saved the money, I guess. We could spend it on other things, you know, toys, <laughs> toys for the dog, um, all kinds of things like that. Yeah, toys yeah. for the dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I I hope everyone gets to find some balance in all of this. It's been obviously a crazy year plus for everyone. And there are a lot of people still going through some really hard times. And, you know, for, for those that are, are making their way back into the world, hopefully we, we can f all find a little bit of balance and, and, and happiness in life. But um, that said, this is a little bit of a special podcast. It's Rob and I uh, talking today. And um, we held a, uh, a small event. It was a gathering of what I'd call community leaders, friends, neighborhood people, um, our new neighbors at Bergen Street last week uh, and made, it made an announcement. We launched something. Um, Rob, do you want to tell us a little bit about the neighborhood farm? Sure. Yeah. So the, the neighborhood farm, this is what we're thinking about now all the time is how can we as farm one build farms in communities and build farms that are really part of the neighborhood. And if you think historically, we've come from, you know, building very small farms. We started in a culinary school, we then built our farm in Tribeca, uh, which is, you know, relatively small. It's 1,200 square feet or so. Uh, and that farm was designed really to be a production unit for 
uh, products for chefs. But what we realized as we started to operate it is that it was also entertaining and fun and compelling to invite people into the farm to experience it. And then of course, you know, with that small space, we started to get more and more visitors and we started to realize that, you know, more and more people wanted to visit and people wanted to come with groups of 25 people or 40 people. And we could only fit like four, eight people in the farm at a time. Um, so we had this sort of learning experience that, yeah, a lot of people did want to come and see farms. Like that was an interesting thing for people. And then during COVID, of course, we had to pivot and we made a big change and we started selling our product to consumers around the city. And we realized that the best way to reach those consumers or the most interested consumers might be the ones who are directly in the neighborhood. And so literally we started to reach out to people in Tribeca. Um, and that was great. And by November, we had sold out of that farm and we were over capacity. And so we immediately started looking for something new. And in that search, we were lucky enough to come across a building in Brooklyn, uh, in Prospect Heights, which satisfies, you know, a lot of our needs. It's about 10,000 square feet. It's a great floor plan. Uh, but more importantly, it's part of a neighborhood. It's on a very nice street called Bergen Street. Until very recently, it was the shittiest building on the street. And now uh, we've made it nice and we've made it into something where we hope it can be a neighborhood farm. And what I mean by the neighborhood farm is that we can have a building where we grow really great produce. We can deliver that produce to the neighborhood. We can have a space, an event space where people can come in and see the farm. They can see what's growing, but they can also taste and enjoy all the different products. They can meet other people from the neighborhood. They can hold events. They can go to a talk about food or sustainability or anything really. Um, and they can know that what is being grown there is clean, that the people growing that product have good jobs, you know, beneficial jobs. And they can know that the place doesn't produce any plastic waste. They can know that the deliveries are having, happening without uh, any emissions. Um, and they can know that there's a place in their community that's growing food. And so that's what we think about when we think about the neighborhood farm. And what's important for us is the reason it's a, a big step is that it kind of ties everything that we've been doing together. So gr the growing of the product, the employment of people, the delivering of that product and the presence of our business in a community. And I think the presence of a business in a community is something that, um, you know, in some ways we take it for granted. Like if there's a bodega that opens up, it's like, it's there, it's part of your neighborhood, but there's other, you know, things that we consume, like a lot of our food where it's produced a long way away. It's not transparent. It's not clear what's happening. There's a lot of ethical problems with food production. And I think that we can solve some of those problems by bringing that food production back into the community. And so we believe that we can put farms in neighborhoods and make those farms a real asset to the neighborhood. We also believe that by doing that, it's, it's, 
it's harder to do that than to build a farm in an anonymous warehouse outside of the city. It's harder to do that than to ship in product from a, from a long way away, but it's the right thing to do. And finally, I think, you know, the, the piece that we're excited about is that, you know, we've discovered and learned so much in Tribeca and now we're about to discover and learn so much in Brooklyn. So we're trying to create a space where we don't have to be right from the beginning. We can kind of learn and we can engage with the community and people can come in and tell us what they think. Um, and we can learn, you know, how a neighborhood farm can be. So what do you think? So the, the food distribution, the food transparency problem, something we talk about a lot. And it's interesting because I, I, I've come across a lot of people where it's not even some, anything you think about, right? So I think there's maybe a little bit more awareness, you know, the conscious consumer that's becoming a thing for marketers and that type of thing. But it's, it's really been quite a re recent thing and, and I'd say maybe a subset, right? I, I think that's changing a little bit. Um, but some of it is just consumers don't don't know, right? You've got the milk industry pushing everything they're pushing. You've got, you know, you name it, industry doing everything. I was just um, learning about the uh, prawn and shrimp industry and some of the horrendous things that are coming out of uh, um, uh, uh, prawn farming, shrimp farming out of Thailand. And, you know, it's not just the environmental impacts, but um, the labor impacts and, and kind of the forced labor issues over there. And, um, you know, needless to say, shocking, which then sent me on this tailspin over the weekend to try to find alternatives. Um, and, you know, what, what are good and viable alternatives to that? Um, but what do you think in your wildest dreams, consumers or our neighbors should expect from a neighborhood farm like ours? Yeah, in a way, it's quite simple. It's, you know, we want to grow food and that food be good. And if you think about what good means, like good means fresh. You get freshness because we literally harvest it that morning and then we deliver it to you later in the day. It's, it's as close to having your own garden with your own salad greens growing in it as you can get. It's as close as that. And the other thing about it being good is it's pesticide free because we can grow in a vertical farm without using pesticides. Um, it's not it's not packaged in wasteful packaging because it has to travel thousands of miles. Like, no, it's only traveling like less than a mile a lot of the time. Um, I think it's all of those things. So that people can expect the produce can, to be good. And then also they can examine us as a business and they can say, okay, uh, these guys say they're doing this. Are they really doing it? Okay. You know, and, and you can verify that in a way that you can't when you consume. If you think about all the products that you consume on a day-to-day -day basis or the things that you use, like your iPhone and your keyboard and um, your monitor and your couch, like you don't really know how those things are produced. Um, whereas I think what we're doing is, something where you can know and and in your neighborhood that's what it should be yeah so we've spent a lot of time talking about zero waste on this podcast and and um 
kind of the reusable packaging that that we have. Um, take us, take tell us about that journey. Tell us about sort of the. On the surface, I think a lot of people think it's a little bit crazy, um, and but I, I, you know, I think it's worth sort of hearing the story again. Yeah, well, you know, going back a couple of years, um, we, I remember talking to Ronnie, the chef at Atera, and he had just told me offhand, like, oh yeah, when I was back in Denmark, I was able to get all my suppliers to deliver to me in a reusable tote. Uh, reusable packaging and he had that power because he was running you know very busy very very successful respected restaurant and he was able to do that and and that simple thing eliminated a huge amount of waste and so I was kind of inspired by that comment and and we started to offer um, or encourage our chef customers at farm one to use reusable packaging um, and you know it was a little tricky to administer, but not too bad. And it actually saved us money. You know, people spend a lot of money on disposable plastic packaging. So when we moved over to a consumer offering, the really, the, a key piece that made it something that we thought was more interesting was offering in reusable packaging. And at the beginning, that was like the default, but you could switch to um, single use if you wanted to. And then several months ago, we said, no, like you can't switch anymore. You got to do reusable. So we forced people to do that. Um, and I think that the, the thing about it is that it's so simple, but people make it out to be really complicated. Like people talk about the circular economy all the time. And you'll see this like really complicated butterfly diagram. People call it the butterfly diagram for the circular economy because it has all these inputs and outputs and stakeholders and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think some of the most like effective circular economy things are really simple things. Like a library is a circular economy like machine because people don't need to keep all the books that they want to read, you know? And, and we don't have actually many things like that in our society anymore. I was reading an article and I think the title was something like every child with their own trampoline or something. And the point was that, you know, 50 years ago, we all went to the trampoline park. And now if you drive along an American suburban street, every kid has their own trampoline. And there's a, there's a, you know, there's a nice thing about that for those kids, but there's a downside as well, right? There's a, a loss of shared space. There's huge amounts of waste. I mean, a trampoline is a wasteful object, right? Um, and obviously a certain lack of community as well, because, you know, people are not bumping into each other. They're not learning how to engage with each other in a shared space like a trampoline, which is a very difficult shared space, I would say. And so... There's things like that that make me think about it. And I think what we're doing is we're saying, actually, this can be really simple. We can eliminate plastic waste in this very simple way. We will literally use the same container and we will wash it again and we will sanitize it. And by the way, it's super clean and it's COVID safe. And there's like very, it's, it's very, very, very clean and safe. And so that thing that it's, it's, it's so weird that like in a way it's a radical act to choose to use reusable packaging, but in another way, it's just the simplest possible thing. And it's, it's simpler 
it's simpler than having disposable packaging because if you have disposable packaging you need to find a place to put it or you need to pretend to recycle it which basically will not happen you know in the us um so all these things like and and so reusables certainly for this example are just better um if you take a perishable product like salad greens they are harvested that morning they go straight into a reusable container if you do not open that container in your fridge and you leave it there for two weeks it's still good like i'm not going to tell you to do that like you should eat it sooner but it's still good because it's literally gone through like no you know crazy shipping it's not you know had to be packaged in a whole different packaging facility or something it's just it's good and so that packaging thing is really important to us it's also a way for us to start to offer other products as well, because you will be able to get more products from Farm One soon that are all in reusable packaging. Um, and for consumers, it's it's a way to say, oh, okay, cool. I don't need to worry about this. And I, and I think for a neighborhood farm, I think that's how it should be. I think we're, we're not creating waste that stays in the community or gets sent to some other community. Um, we're doing something that's inherently efficient and cool. And it's, it's weird and disappointing that I have to talk about it even, you know, but that's just where we are. And so we're excited to do it. Um, that's how we're going to do it going forward. And we hope that other companies follow suit. Do you think they can? I mean, how does, so if you're an Amazon or a Fresh Direct or, you know, some of these larger companies, like how, how do they do that? Can they do that? I mean, you know, your, your large CPGs are all trying to do something, right? And, and I think, you know, they're, they're looking at compostable packaging and those types of things. But what, what's stopping all of these guys from doing anything interesting? I think it becomes a philosophical question because ultimately there's nothing stopping them. Like, yeah, it's hard, but big companies do hard things all the time because they want to do them and they don't do the hard things they don't want to do. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about Carlos Ghosn. Like if you spent time in Japan over the past 20 years, you would know about Carlos Ghosn and how he, he, like he came in and he really like turned around, not just one, but two car companies like Renault and Nissan. And eventually this crazy shit happened to him, but he was able within the space of like two or three years to completely change Nissan's path and their profitability to a huge extent and he did that you know i'm not saying his management approach was right or anything like that i'm just saying like he managed to do that and that was one person who came in and really radically transformed that company and if you look at how car companies have responded to tesla it's taken them a couple of years but now big time bmw mercedes volvo like all these guys they're coming back the f-150 right revolutionary vehicle it wouldn't have happened if they weren't responding to tesla but it did happen it showed that ford a big company that was entrenched in the gasoline vehicle market could turn and change and produce something that's an incredible vehicle this is not an ad for the f-150 but it shows that if you really want to do something you'll do it and i think fundamentally if someone now has a big company and they're churning out a ton of plastic waste, it's because it's not important for them to fix it. They're not getting enough pressure to fix it. They inherently in their ethical mind are not 
prioritizing it. And so they're not fixing it. And I, I think like that, my opinion on that is sort of, I'm just becoming, I'm becoming gradually more um, fed up with it because I know it's really hard to change production processes. I know that, but I also know that if you want to get something done as a business owner, you can do it and you can and it, like, you can write an article about how hard it is and you can get that published. And I'm talking about a particular article that I think we both read recently from a, a farming company. You can, you can tell consumers how hard it is. You can tell the government how hard it is. You can tell, you know, but ultimately that just means you don't really want to change it and it's not a priority for you. So I'm, I'm kind of sick of it now. I think if you care about plastic waste or all kinds of other things, you know, as a business owner, it's time to do something about it. How can our neighbors be part of part of Bergen Street, the neighborhood farm? Wow, that was a change. That was a more positive message, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I wanted to switch gears there a little bit. Switching gears. Um, I think that there's a couple of ways. I mean, obviously, they can buy our products, which would be lovely. Um, and we're starting to offer more products, and there'll be slightly easier ways to get a hold of farm one products soon as well um, so that's the obvious thing i think the other thing is that our members are going to get access to special events and so of course if you're already a member you're going to get that um, but we'll have events and tours and classes and things at the farm from i hope maybe october we will see um, so pretty soon so that's a great way to engage and then also you can you know, join the team. We're going to be hiring a bunch of people over the next few months, which is exciting. And, and we're going to be hiring for jobs that don't require a ton of agriculture experience. They're mostly for people who are uh, enthusiastic and excited and, and willing to learn. Um, they can look at our mural. I can't think of anything okay, else. Yeah. <laughs> pause, pause there for a second. Let's talk about the mural. Yeah. Let's talk about this mural. Okay, so we take the shittiest looking building mm. <laughs> on the street. Yes. And I don't think it looks shitty anymore. And if you're listening to this, come by 625 Berg and tell us if it's shitty or not. Tell us <laughs> I about don't think this that's mural. the question. Tell us if it's shitty or not. <laughs> Could be. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, we took over this building. It's about 60 foot wide. Uh, the frontage so it has a lot of frontage on the street um, when we took it over it had a ton of graffiti on it not like good graffiti either you know you walk past and you're like oh that's really good it wasn't like that it was like a bunch of tags and you know random stuff and also had like these air conditioning units hanging out the front and it just had a bunch of wires just the kind of shit that builds up on buildings that are not looked after for many years and so I think that everyone living on that street just had walked past that building and gone like, Ugh, you know, but it's been like Ugh, for the past 10, 15 years, you know? So when we decided to take over the building, we wanted to make sure that we could turn it back into a kind of positive um, space. Uh, so what we did was we got rid of those hanging air conditioning un units. We got rid of some bars on the windows. We cleaned it up and then we decided to paint a mural and I'm kind of into street art and stuff. You know, I'm a former graphic designer. Um, what I, one of the things I love about different cities is the different kind of street art. You know, you go down to Miami, there's different things. You go over to places in Europe, it's different. In New York City, there's obviously 
a lot of cool murals and you know homage to Biggie Smalls and actually I was in Chicago last week there was a very photorealistic mural of um, Kanye uh, right there as well under the L train um, and so just cool stuff like that and and so we wanted we we had this opportunity to make a mural we definitely didn't want to make an ad um, I think that you'll see a lot of like so-called murals now that are actually just ads for like daily harvest or you know I remember going I was at a protest um, for Black Lives Matter back in probably a year ago ish um, and we were going down a street in Soho and the person leading the protest wanted to stop by a mural which was like a I think it was a quote from some leader I, I can't remember but it was it was done by Nike I think and so it was like one of the few times I was in one of those protests and it was almost like there was a there was a disagreement basically with all the people like some people wanted to stop because the quote was really valid but other people were like, no, this is just corporate bullshit. Like we got to keep walking. We can't be like kneeling in front of a Nike ad, you know, like, and so anyway, not to say that our mural has to be quite so controversial, but we didn't want to do an ad. And there's this, you know, to get kind of personal for a minute, I guess, like I've always been lucky enough and given the opportunity to kind of try to do things that I think are like difficult and I've, I've tried to put myself in situations where I am doing a difficult thing and farm one is definitely the most difficult thing I've ever done and so um, it's that makes me sort of I'm lucky to be able to do something as difficult as that you know and so I always think about not necessarily this exact phrase but the idea that you know, if you had space to follow your dreams, like, you know, what, what might you do? And I think a lot of people, firstly, a lot of people don't have the space to do that. Um, but a lot of people do, and they don't do it, you know? And, uh, and if you look at like the biggest regrets that people have, like in old age, it's that they didn't do like the thing. They didn't talk to the girl. They didn't take that trip that they could have taken they didn't take the job that was going to be more difficult they didn't move when they had a dream to do that and, and that's the thing that people regret much more than like things they did that went wrong you know and so overall this phrase just always kept bubbling up in my mind and i was talking about it with the mural artists that we started to work with who are all like ex-graffiti artists kind of and what was interesting about working with them well one of the things was that they walked outside our building and the guy kind of knew who had like tagged the building. He was like, oh yeah, it's that guy and that guy, <laughs> you know, it was kind of fun. But um, yeah, so I was talking with them about what kind of message we could have and what, what kind of mural could we have that people who literally live opposite could walk outside the building and see that every day and have a positive message. And so what we came up with was is something, and you, you have to look at the picture really to get it, but um, we came up with something which is all about the different plants that we're growing and all the different leaves and there's hundreds of different leaves and stuff in there. But the message um, that it says is, what would you attempt if you knew you would succeed? What would you attempt if you knew you would succeed? And the question, of course, is, you know, trying to push you a little bit to think about what are the things that you want to achieve? What are the things that you are scared of as well? You know, um, which I think is really interesting. And I hope that you know, I hope people living near it, like, 
ask themselves that question occasionally. It's an immense privilege to kind of get inside people's heads. And so I, I hope that we're using that, um, you know, in the right way. But if we can, you know, if, if even like one kid walks past and looks at it and then thinks about a dream and following a dream, that's worth it, right? Like that's super cool. And so it's a, you know, it's a privilege to have that space. Um, I think the mural guys did an amazing job. And we've got really nice feedback about it. I'm really glad because I was so nervous about the whole thing going up. I was just like, you know, cause it's so big. Like I've always done digital stuff before where you can delete it if it goes wrong. But this is like a 60 foot wide, close to 20 foot tall mural. It's not going anywhere. Um, but yeah, the, the residents around gave us really, really great feedback. I think people really, really like it. Um, Justin, our operations director, his mom likes it a lot. And so, and Taylor's mom liked it too. So I think a lot of moms are like liking it. And so there's good feedback there. And then some, you know, some people whose design opinions I respect also like it. So, so it's a relief. It's out there. It's good. But yeah, check it out. 65 Bergen Street. Um, tell us what was, what was your question? Tell us if you like it or hate it. Tell us if it's shitty or not. Tell them it's shitty. No, just, um, you know, hopefully read the message and, and hopefully it prompts some thinking of your own, you know. I think it's great, Rob. I think you guys all did a good job on it. Um, I think it looks beautiful. I think that, you know, it's, it, I mean, art is what it is, right? But I think the intent, I hope people understand the intent. And to your point, you know, if, if, if we can leave someone with a positive thought or thinking for the day. Um, yeah then it's job well done. Um, so to wrap up, what do you think, uh, what should people expect in the coming months from us? Yeah, well, luckily we'll be able to start selling more greens soon because we're going to be planting um, the first real batch of plants on the farm, I hope mid-July. Um, racks are getting completed, lights are in, plumbing is getting done, we're getting big walls put up and all that kind of stuff. So um, so yeah, you'll be able to actually subscribe to our product, which is amazing. And then um, we'll gradually be building out the space. And as I said, that event space uh, will, will get built out uh, in sort of Q3, Q4 this year. And in the meantime, you know, more, more content, more talking to people, more products that we're going to be able to sell. Um, and hopefully getting into the rhythm of production in this new farm. It's because we've been waiting so long for this thing, right? Um, and so just just having some plants growing there will be fantastic. Yeah, it's, 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 we've been planning this for so long and it feels like, you know, we've been talking not about the same things, but there are days when we're trying to find things to talk about. And this is such a milestone because I, I, I want to be able to hear the stories of the people that are, we're working with, you know, yeah. the people at the farm. Um, you know, why are they doing this? And, you know, who are they? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think there's an opportunity for us in ways that other farming companies that are larger than us can't do. You know, that uh, that we can really sort of get to know the people that are members, but also get to know the people that that work at the farm and, and work alongside us. So yeah, um, I think some of those stories are going to be a lot of fun. So that's what's around the corner as well. 
um, for, for our content, uh, amongst a bunch of other things. We're starting to experiment with a whole new set of things as well. So, uh, this build is a huge milestone, but, uh, that also opens up a lot of creative opportunities. So I think it's going to get fun, uh, or be a lot, it'll continue to be fun. <laughs> say. It's been fun to this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to being in that neighborhood and that street Vanderbilt is great. Like on the weekends, it's, it's open streets. So no cars and there's great bars and restaurants and things. And there's people, I'm just really looking forward to being part of that. So yeah, feeling excited. Good, good, good. Well, thank you, Rob, for uh, sharing your thoughts and, and, and being really open about uh, uh, what your vision is for the business and what your vision is for our neighborhood farm. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with more. Bye.